Thanks for listening to this Aspen podcast. I'm Dr. Angela Bingham, an Associate Editor for Nutrition and Clinical Practice and Chair for Aspen's Pharmacy Practice section. Today, we're highlighting a paper that will be published in the February 2023 issue of Nutrition and Clinical Practice entitled, Managing Nutrition Support Product Shortages, What Have We Learned? I'll be interviewing Dr. Diana Mulherin, a clinical pharmacist specialist in nutrition support at Vanderbilt University Medical Center and lead author for this publication regarding nutrition support product shortages. Before we begin our discussion, Dr. Mulherin, do you have any disclosures on this topic that you would like to share? Thank you. I have received speaker honoraria from Baxter on topics that covered micronutrient shortages. Thank you. As we begin our discussion, would you be able to share more about your clinical practice setting and past experiences managing nutrition support product shortages? Sure. I am an adult nutrition support team member at an academic medical center. I primarily manage parenteral nutrition in critically ill and surgery patients in the inpatient setting, but we are a very large team that manages PN in both the inpatient and outpatient settings. We actually have 15 people on our team, and that's not including our trainees that come on rotation with us. Regarding my experiences managing nutrition support shortages, first of all, I guess I should say I'm the chair of the subcommittee for nutrition product shortages and under the clinical practice committee. Uh, in terms of my practice, like most clinicians in the U.S., I've been dealing with various shortages since I was in training. So this is just a regular part of practice, unfortunately, for, for all of us. And as I just mentioned, I'm very fortunate to be practicing in an environment with so many resources dedicated to nutrition and drug procurement. Our pharmacy department actually has a purchasing team who are integral in helping navigate drug shortages. So I'm in communication with this team regularly, either through email or drug shortage meetings. Sometimes we're making decisions behind the scenes that don't necessarily need to be communicated beyond pharmacy, such as a change in drug brands or concentrations. But some shortages are so severe that I've been involved in extensive changes that warrant even creation of task force and global education, global communication on the management of shortages or product restrictions. So past examples of this are the amino acid shortages after Hurricane Maria in 2017. We created a task force with representatives from adults and pediatrics, pharmacy, even ethics and legal teams because the shortages were so severe. So this shortage had major impacts on our practice. I've also helped to manage numerous shortages of sodium phosphate in my career. So at times we've created drug restrictions to conserve supply. So for something like this, I've worked with our health informatics team to build alerts for prescribers about the shortage and to direct prescribers to an alternative. And also prior to being at Vanderbilt, my practice setting was in a community hospital with significantly fewer resources. So I have managed nutrition product shortages when it was just myself and maybe one or two other pharmacists trying to figure out what to do. And that is much, much more difficult. But this is where I think most clinicians are, and I understand what that's like. So we said a lot in this paper, but my colleagues and I were also thinking about, you know, all practice perspectives as we were writing the paper. 
We really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us and your leadership in this area within Aspen. I'm curious, in your perspective, what are the top reasons for the parenteral and intral nutrition shortages that we've all experienced? You know, we've mentioned this at various points in the paper, but historically, drug shortages have primarily been the result of quality issues. So, for example, if one manufacturer experiences some issue that has affected or could affect the quality of their product and production is paused due to this, this leads to a domino effect and eventually the demand outweighs the supply and you have a drug shortage on your hands. But for all shortages that have occurred, as I'm thinking about this and reflecting on, you know, all the big shortages that have occurred recently, I think regardless of the cause of delays from one specific manufacturer, a big problem for PN products is that the number of manufacturers for each product is severely limited. For many ingredients in PN, there is only one manufacturer. For most other ingredients, there are just a handful of manufacturers, maybe two or three. So that is a recipe for a shortage. If anything causes a disruption in any step of the drug production or distribution process from that one product, we will feel the effects of this in practice. So it's a known problem that we have not been able to overcome in the US. I think this is also why EN products have typically been less impactful to practice because in general, there are a lot of redundancy among EN products across manufacturers. That's not to say that EN products do not cause problems to our patients, but Aside from the infant formula crisis, we actually don't know anything about impacts of EN shortages on patient outcomes. Really, there's there's almost nothing in the literature about these shortages. Thanks for those insights. In your paper, you describe different strategies to manage parenteral and intral nutrition shortages in inpatient and outpatient settings. What would you highlight as key differences in the management for these nutrition support product shortages across care settings? Shortage management in the inpatient settings is complex and very stressful, but you're all functioning under the same umbrella. Every PN order is coming across in the same way, hopefully, with the same general approach to dealing with whatever shortage is at hand. So even in the chaos of dealing with drug shortages, it's much more controlled and where it's relatively easier to communicate and it's possible to monitor and make changes if something isn't working. Compare this to the outpatient setting, it's a completely different story. In my opinion, the outpatient setting is really the most vulnerable to negative impacts from shortages. An infusion pharmacy is receiving PN orders from prescribers anywhere and everywhere, and the communication piece between the pharmacy and the ordering clinician is so, so difficult. It's even more important here to double down on your efforts to communicate about shortages because of this. So for the prescriber, call the infusion pharmacy before sending any orders if you know that there are ongoing shortages. So call the infusion pharmacy that day to know what the shortage situation is. It changes regularly. So whatever the situation was yesterday may not be the same today. And then for the infusion pharmacy, outgoing communication to both patients and clinicians is essential to keep ongoing communication and protect patient safety. 
thank you for sharing those differences across care settings. Also, we know Aspen is a multidisciplinary organization that truly values interprofessional collaboration. Are there interprofessional approaches that should be used to minimize the impact on product shortages on patient safety? Absolutely. Honestly, I would err on the side of including more stakeholders than one may think are necessary or needed in making a decision about shortage management because it's really impossible to know the trickle-down effects of one decision when you have limited perspective. For example, if you're a hospital where PN is managed under a pharmacy protocol, you should still include clinical dietitians in your decision-making about macronutrient shortage management. So we give examples of different disciplines to consider in terms of involvement and decisions in our paper. And I just cannot stress enough the importance of bringing all stakeholders to the table to make these decisions. Thanks. Uh, with the importance of stakeholders in mind, are there strategies that you would suggest to engage patients and their caregivers in managing nutrition support product shortages as well? Yes. In our paper, we do give an example letter that could go out potentially to the patient or caregiver to communicate about shortages. This is one approach that our nutrition team uses. So we will send out a letter to the patient's about what we're doing to manage their shortage. And this alerts them to know that something is different about their order. And, you know, it really depends on the patient. But when my home PN colleagues are doing their check-ins over the phone before sending a new PN order to the infusion pharmacy, if there are changes to the order related to shortages, we do our best to communicate verbally about these changes. So engaging the patient or caregiver in the process is only adding another layer of safety to shortage management. There are so many moving parts, especially in the outpatient setting. And often it's the patient that catches when something is wrong or different about their order. And that is so, so important to patient safety. Dr. Mulherin, thank you for your holistic view that you've provided on managing nutrition support shortages. Before we close, are there any additional comments that you would like to share with our listeners? Sure. So I would say one thing is that if you practice in an environment with limited resources and come into a situation where you feel you want another opinion about shortage management, I would say just knowing my colleagues and um, knowing how pharmacists in general and dietitians are so used to working with other disciplines and giving advice about random clinical scenarios. I think that most clinicians are happy to help and offer their opinion. Um, so it is not uncommon for me to get emails from people that I do not know, but other people in the nutrition world asking questions. And I do the same when I come into a situation where I don't really have someone to ask. I will also reach out to people whether I might know them in person or not. So I think it's okay to reach out to other hospitals or specific people to get their opinion. Another thing I would mention is that be cautious about answers if you're using listservs or social media to get input on what other clinicians are doing. I would just be cautious about the answers you receive. A lot of times they're so helpful, but they're not necessarily always correct or appropriate. And so just be cautious and make sure that, you know, double check whatever you're reading on these 
in, in terms of responses from people and make sure that you vet the validity of the recommendation. Also, please report shortages and patient outcomes related to shortages. We need things like this reported so that we know we truly have a good understanding of the impacts on patient outcomes. And for EN, we really need a way to capture what is happening. There is a huge gap in the literature here, and there's just no way that EN shortages aren't having an impact on patient safety. And so if you know of something that's happened or have an opportunity to report this in the literature, case reports, case series, please report it because there's really nothing in the literature. Thank you, Dr. Mulherin, for joining us today and sharing your insight with our listeners. We've really appreciated your expertise in uh, dealing with nutrition support shortages. We also want to thank our audience for listening to this Aspen podcast. This helpful invited review can be viewed in its entirety in the February 2023 issue of Nutrition and Clinical Practice that discusses key events affecting nutrition support. To support what we do, please share, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thank you.